the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dot com slash commercial. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that last day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the storms rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I've been sharing with you Matthew, the seventh chapter. Every person responds in some manner to Jesus. The question is, does that response to Jesus lead you into the work of the kingdom of God in loving and caring for others? Does that response to Jesus produce good fruit? Today we're going to look at several stories very quickly that will give different ways people responded to Jesus. Some wonderfully well and others not so well you're listening to pilgrim's progress i'm ray greenley and alexandra greenley thank you for joining us today we're from the national prayer chapel and we're very happy that you joined us thank you now i'd like to just walk right on into the eighth chapter of matthew and look quickly at some people who responded to Jesus and why they responded. Chapter 8, verse 1, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. 
This man had listened to Jesus from a distance. He he couldn't come close. He was unclean, ostracized, blocked out. But because of his great need, he responded to the words Jesus spoke by coming close. And Jesus reached out and touched him and healed him. So immediately it leaps up in my face. A man with a desperate need will be met by Jesus. That need will be met by our Lord. Then if we go quickly from that to the next story, It is the story of the centurion in verse 5. A centurion has come to him asking for help. A centurion is a Roman army officer. He's asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. My servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Well, Jesus is astonished by this man's faith, and immediately the man's servant is healed. He doesn't need to go to the house. Again, we see the centurion responds to Jesus to his teachings, he responds out of his own desperate need for Jesus to come and touch him. Continuing in the 8th chapter, verse 14, Jesus comes into Peter's house, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, The fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him or began to serve him. So Jesus comes, and here's another person with a desperate need. He meets that need. She immediately gets up and begins to serve him. Part of what I notice is that many people who responded positively to Jesus immediately began serving. They didn't sit back on the couch and say, Oh, I feel much better, Jesus. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now would you bring me some food, Jesus? No, no. This woman got up and began to serve herself and began to wait on Jesus and feed him. Then we come to the 16th chapter, the 16th chapter of Matthew. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come to Jesus, and they test him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, Jesus is not opposed to signs. What he's opposed to is testing him. They came not out of their desperate need, They came out of their intellectual curiosity. And they wondered, could we get him to do a miraculous sign from heaven? Jesus does not bite. 
but I want to show you what happens. Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So, now the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the top religious people of the day, they don't come out of desperate need. They come out of their self-satisfaction and they wonder, could we get Jesus to do something that would be miraculous? They test him. And Jesus responds by leaving. He doesn't want to be with them. Then turn with me to Luke, the seventh chapter. We're just going through some of these very quickly. It causes me to raise the question, however. How do you respond to Jesus? I've asked myself that question. And when Jesus came to me, and I met him, my response was, I will follow you, Jesus. I will serve you, and I'll lay my life down as a fisher of men, and I'll do everything in my power to win people to your kingdom because your kingdom is filled with glory and love and mercy and kindness. So I responded, not by testing Jesus, but by recognizing I needed him. I wanted him. I needed to be freed from the bondage of my own carnal nature, my own flesh. I needed to have a new life. So let's look at Simon and see how he responded. Luke, the seventh chapter. Let's begin with verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, please, this is not acceptable behavior. Not in that culture, certainly not in our culture. This is not what was expected. Obviously, this woman is responding to Jesus out of such a depth of passion and love, of gratefulness, she is just laying her life down at Jesus' feet. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Simon responds to Jesus' kindness in accepting the love given by this woman. 
Simon responds to this demonstration of love with embarrassment. Simon responds with judgments, with criticism. All of these are responses that can come to our heart. You might even say that he was responding with doubt about Jesus being the Christ. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. So there is a criticism of both Jesus and the woman. There is a judgment of them both, but there's also doubt. He's saying, I don't really know if this man is the Christ. Despite the fact that Jesus had previously healed this man. He'd healed him of leprosy. And yet, now this man is able to go back socially to his old life. He's able to have friends over for dinner. His life is normal again. And now he doubts whether Jesus is who he says he is. And he criticizes him with strong judgments. When we witness to people, when we share the love of Jesus with people, sometimes I've had people respond this way to me with criticism and judgment. We each get to respond in our own way. We know a man very well who has been healed and delivered by Jesus in a number of ways and yet still expresses these kinds of doubtful and even hostile assertions against God from time to time. He'll say, you know, I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus. I don't really know if Jesus is going to do what he says he'll do. And it's kind of tragic because Jesus did show love to this man. He visited him. He was a man with a desperate need. Jesus met that need. Then Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay the money back. So he canceled their debts, both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We really do need to be very conscious about how we choose to respond to Jesus. Simon can now, after Jesus leaves, talk with his guests about whatever he needs to say to cover himself with his friends, to cover the embarrassment of Jesus' confrontation with him, and then he can continue living as a Pharisee. With leprosy, he could not be a Pharisee. He was unclean. But now he's been restored by Jesus so that he can remain a Pharisee. Now, what glory that Jesus was willing to heal a man of his leprosy knowing that that man would turn his back on Jesus. Jesus doesn't heal just those who are going to respond positively to him. He healed everyone who came to him. Some, like Judas, turned against him. Some, like this Pharisee, said, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I have my life. Well, his life had been given to him by Jesus. His response was not a saving response. Not a response that would touch the heart of Jesus. And let's be clear, the reason for that is because of the contempt that he has shown to this woman whose sins Jesus had forgiven. It's not just that he was insulting Jesus, but he was insulting a fellow Christian, a fellow child of God. Now, as we look at these responses, I want to spend the remaining time on one more story. Although we could talk about others, like the man who prepared a wedding feast. He prepared the wedding feast and sent out all of the invitations, and one man said, oh, I can't come. I just bought oxen, and I need to go and see how they plow. Another man said, well, I can't come because I just got married. I mean, where would be a better place to take his new bride than to the feast of the king? But he didn't want to do that. So, People got the invitation, and then they chose how they would respond. It was a conscious choice. One man, however, enters into the wedding feast, and it was customary in that day that the king would provide the wedding garments so that everyone could be well-dressed, a beautiful robe, I don't know what else they were provided with, but they were all dressed in their finery. Many of them were poor and would not have the ability to purchase such garments, and they could not be in the king's presence if they were not dressed. And so this man enters into the banquet, and the king comes to see his guests. 
And he sees this man not dressed in what he had provided. And he casts him out into utter darkness. He first asks him, how did you come without a wedding garment? The man could have answered, oh, I'm so sorry. They didn't have one my size. And the king would have immediately stepped forward and made certain that he was dressed in the appropriate robe. But he had no excuse. He was without excuse, and so he was cast out. He was cast out into outer darkness, where the scriptures say there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What I'm wanting you to hear today is that you have the right, you have the ability to choose how you will respond to the gospel message. What is the gospel? We've been clear about that. The gospel is the proclamation that the kingdom of God has come. That this, that the bondage has been broken. That you are set free. The kingdom of God is that you have been made righteous. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. Your sins are forgiven. You are made righteous. You are made innocent. Not pretend, but real. And the garment you wear, according to the book of Revelation, are the good deeds. The white linen are the good deeds. In other words, after you enter the kingdom of God, you are dressed in love and compassion and mercy as you act that out for other people. This man wanted the advantage of the banquet but did not want the responsibility of the banquet which was to put on the king's garment the gift of salvation is a free gift the gift of being made righteous is a real gift and you can choose not to accept it and continue to walk in your sin and the day will come when the king will examine every person and those without the wedding garment will be cast out into outer darkness. Did you want to jump in on this story? This isn't John 5 or 6. I'm not really sure where the story is coming oh, from. No, no, we're going to John 6 now. Okay. I said we could talk about many other stories this is one of the many we could talk about but John 6 is where the rubber really hits the road so let's share this story why don't you begin reading Alexandra out of the translation you have this is John the gospel of John chapter 6 after this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs that Jesus had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, Where will we buy food to feed these people? Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, 
more than a half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, A youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Let's stop a minute. Let's consider what we've heard so far. A great crowd of people have been following Jesus because they have seen the miraculous signs. What are the signs? Healing the sick, raising the dead. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and he sees the great crowd following and he has compassion for them. And he asks Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He was testing him. In what way was he testing him? Well, he failed the test. The test is, here are people in desperate need. How are you going to meet that need? He wanted his disciples to begin to think in terms of how can we meet this great need? Philip says it's impossible. We can't meet it. They've forgotten that they have Jesus, the Son of the living God, sitting right beside them. And nothing is too hard for him. Yeah, so what we see here is that Jesus wanted to feed the crowd. And this was not an unusual question. When Jesus said, where will we buy food to feed these people? No one was surprised that Jesus had asked this question. He had probably said things similar to this in the past. I imagine that it was not unusual for his disciples to see Jesus feeding people. But the question was, how were they going to feed so many people? And where this applies to us is we can look around and we can say there's so much need. How can we possibly meet it? How can we possibly reach everybody in Washington, D.C., for example? It's hard to even talk to a handful of people because there's, we're so densely populated. It's, it's hard to even reach them. Well, Jesus didn't think in those terms. And he doesn't want us to think in those terms either. So he wanted the disciples to have a faith response, we would say. Meaning, he wanted them to say, this need is going to be met. Now let's ask Jesus how to do it. Because we know he wants to do it. We know it's the heart of Jesus to feed them. And we know he has the ability to do it. So let's go to Jesus and find out how to do it. Now, what that looks like for us is when we have a need, for example, I've been sharing that I'm putting together a bra party for some women in need for bras. Well, I had zero dollars when I started this. And I said, well, I know Jesus wants to give these women some new bras, so I'm going to put it together and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus for the money. The money is still not completely in, but I'm trusting Jesus. The date is coming up on Sunday. I'm saying, okay, Jesus, you see this is coming up pretty soon. But I'm not going to say, well, I don't have the money, so I'm just not going to help them. We do decide we're going to help them, and then we ask Jesus to do it. When we know it's his will. Yes. 
So let's look at what Jesus does. Well, just a minute. Let's ask another question. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will it go among so many? So that's exactly where we are. We have one small radio station, WAVA, 780 AM. And our goal is to reach Washington, D.C. with the gospel of Jesus, to bring revival to this city, to turn the hearts of men and women back to him, to raise up a standard of loving, kind righteousness where people can be set free of their bondage. That's what we're about. So we have five small barley loaves. We have one small radio station on the AM side of the dial. How far will that go in Washington, D.C.? Not very far. That's why we're praying for revival and waiting upon Jesus because we believe he is going to bring revival in this city. We're not going to. He is going to. And he's going to use in part the five small barley loaves we have and the two fish. He's going to use this radio broadcast. So, continue. Jesus tells the people to sit down. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread. When he'd given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces, so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw that he'd done a miraculous sign, they said, This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king, so he took refuge again alone on a mountain. So we have Jesus stepping in and multiplying the bread and making the impossible happen, feeding this huge crowd of 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 women, and maybe another 5,000 children. There was no limit to what Jesus could do. In our minds and in our hearts, as we respond to Jesus, we must let go of our limitations and look instead at the great needs before us. The great need of righteousness in the city of Washington, D.C. The great need for a total change in the abortion atmosphere of this city. We are praying that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade. We are praying and standing by faith that Jesus is entering into the court, the Supreme Court, that he ordered it now as it is, and that it will overturn many things that are of utter wickedness. We pray he will cause the court to overturn gay marriage. God's the one who made marriage. Government did not make marriage. God did. 
and he gets to set the rules for what it means, and he sets the rules that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, that's not a very popular statement in this city today among many, but it's what the scriptures teach us. So, we're also praying that the Lord will send Christians, perhaps you listening, to meet these mothers who are in such a crisis that they would consider aborting their child. It is absolutely necessary for the, the law to be changed, but that doesn't actually solve the root problem that these women need help. So we're praying that the Lord will send many Christians including you, if you're so called, to help these women. And not just, you know, for a little bit, but really be willing to invest in them to get to know them as people. I love, I have one friend who we interviewed on this station, Lauren Handy, the founder of Mercy Missions. She does sidewalk counseling outside of abortion clinics. And she, when she is able to meet a mother who does change her mind and says, I, I will keep this baby. What does Lauren do? She meets up with that mother for dinner or lunch. She raises money to buy them gift cards because many of these women don't have any money at all, even for themselves, much less adding a baby to support. And then she gets them plugged in with a local church and with a crisis pregnancy center if needed. And these women come to Jesus. So it's, it's reaching out in that practical way and really loving the person and being with them step by step. And that's how they come into the church. That's how they become Christians. And then now, praise God, not only has their child been saved, the mother's been saved, and now she can raise the child to be a Christian. That's a much more wonderful thing than abortion. So that's what I mean when I say we don't just need Roe v. Wade overturned, but we need people who will be on the ground to reach out and really help these people come into the church and come to Jesus. So we have Jesus providing all that is necessary to feed this crowd. And notice he doesn't just give them the bare bones. It says when they had plenty to eat. They had so much to eat that they could not eat any more, and they even had leftovers. Baskets of leftovers. Jesus is not stingy with us. He gives us plenty. And as we reach out to others, we don't want to be stingy with them either. But we want to show that, that generosity for them that Jesus has given us. So now Jesus has another response to him, to himself. After feeding the 5,000, or however many were there, the people say, this is the great prophet. He is the Messiah. Let's make him the king, and let's rebel against Rome. That's not what Jesus is there for. You know, I, I plead... Yes, respond to Jesus. Respond to what he does for you. But respond out of a humble heart, a heart prepared to serve, not a political rally. Jesus is not a political figure. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Jesus withdraws from them. I'm always interested in the scriptures in observing where Jesus leaves. I don't want Jesus to leave me. But Jesus leaves when I take what he's given me and say, okay, I can build something great with this. And Jesus is gone. So another way of looking at this, I mean, this whole passage is a very interesting evangelism strategy. So first Jesus is healing people, and that generates a crowd who then follow him. He then feeds the crowd, and that further fuels their desire to follow Jesus. And then his withdrawing gives them another, we might say, opportunity to really go after Jesus. And so we find him, we won't dwell on this next section, we find him going across to the other side of the lake. The crowd is looking for Jesus, and then they go to the other side of the lake. And this is what Jesus says to them. I assure you that you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one or son of man will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as an agent to give life. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Jesus says the reason these people came to him was not because of the miraculous signs, but because they were able to eat all the food they want. Incredible, if you will just stop and think about it. Feeding these people led them to follow Jesus. Just feeding them. It's so simple. The fact that these people who were hungry had more than enough to eat motivated them to actually go to the other side of the lake and follow Jesus. And then they were really interested in what he had to say. They wanted to, they wanted to listen to him. And Jesus' response is to very kindly redirect them to thinking not just about temporal food, food for now, which we do need and which Jesus gave them. That was kind of the hook. But he says, okay, I've given you the food for now. I've given you plenty to eat now. But what I really want you to look at is the food for eternal life. And then he goes in to explain that he is the bread of life that the Father sent to the earth. Well, they respond in a very interesting way now. And, and what we're looking at today are those responses that people make to Jesus. In verse 28, this is John six twenty-eight. They ask the question, what must we do to do the works God requires? So now their bellies are full, and Jesus has said, don't just seek that full belly, but seek eternal value, eternal life. And they say, okay, how do we do that? Now this is exciting. Wouldn't it be exciting if you went and fed someone who was hungry, and then you said, I've given you this food because Jesus sent me to you, and I want you to know that you can't just have 
that Jesus doesn't want to just give you this food. He wants to give you eternal life. And now imagine that person saying, that sounds wonderful. How do I do that? That's what we all want, right? When we're reaching out and witnessing to people. And then he begins to identify himself as the bread of God, as the one that has come down from heaven, the one who gives life to the world. And they say, from now on, give us this bread. We want this bread. It's very similar to the Samaritan woman's response in John 4 when she was at the well and Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll never be thirsty again and there will be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's almost identical to what we see here, Jesus speaking about the bread of life to this crowd. So what we're seeing that some people respond to Jesus with withdrawal, with testing, with doubts, with criticisms. But other people respond and enjoy what Jesus is giving them, and they feast on it. And out of that wonderful feasting on what Jesus has given them, they begin to ask questions. Okay, now what's next? How do we do this? This is the kingdom of God. As we enter into the kingdom of God, we then begin to respond to Jesus by doing with others what he has done for us. We begin to reach out and touch their life or lives with kindness and with mercy, sharing the honest gospel of Jesus. Jesus did not go to the hungry crowd and say, don't think about how hungry you are. Just think about how I'm the bread of life. I want to give you eternal life. He didn't do that. He fed them first, and then they wanted to hear. So as ambassadors, as representatives for Jesus, we are to do the same thing, to meet the needs of the people we meet, and then to use that as a way to share the word of life with them so that their soul can be saved. It's kind of insane and cruel to neglect a person's temporal needs and then only talk to them about their soul. It doesn't really make sense if you think about it. It's also of interest to me that the people who responded positively to Jesus were people who were leprous, people who had a desperate need, people who were hungry. People who were rejected by the community and called a sinner. How hungry are you today? What kind of need do you have for Jesus today? Those who were casual about Jesus, who could take it or leave it, enjoyed what they could get, and then went on, they had no real need. It was the people who were hungry, 
who responded to Jesus. And let's be clear, it's true, Jesus said in verse 64, yet some of you don't believe. Well, if some of them didn't believe, that means some of them did believe. So we're not saying here, you know, you're going to feed someone and every single time they're going to believe in Jesus. And we don't want you to get discouraged when people don't respond well. But what we're saying is that it is the way of Jesus to feed everybody, to use that as an opportunity to share the gospel, and then some of those people will respond with faith and will believe in Jesus. So don't get discouraged if you're reaching out and not everyone is believing. He says in verse 37, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do not my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is going very deep now with these people. He's addressing this issue. The Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Is Jesus drawing you today? How have you responded? Have you responded by going back to your regular life, your regular schedule, and everything is normal and you just enjoy going and watching Jesus once in a while or you enjoy going to church, you enjoy doing religious things, like religion is your hobby, but you're really not sold out. Or are you sold out and rejoicing in Jesus and and ready to pour out on him every blessing of your heart. What is your response to Jesus? There's one other encouraging thing that I see in this passage, which is how engaged these people are. If you've tried to witness to someone, you may have found that they really don't want to hear what you say. Maybe you can get a few sentences in, but Jesus was able to have a very extended conversation with this crowd. They asked him questions. He was able to share much revelation from God about who he was. And I've seen this to be true as I have moved more into praying with people, into like about their needs, if they're sick, if they are having trouble with a job with a pregnancy, as I've moved more into giving material objects, things people need or that would improve their life, I have found that that really opens the way to have these more extended conversations with them. This is really about 
responding to Jesus, receiving what he has to give, which is salvation and freedom and love, forgiveness and righteousness. And then out of that, beginning to reach out to others and make a difference in their lives. This is the joy of following Jesus, bringing others with us on the journey. Well, we have only two minutes left in this broadcast today. We would love to hear from you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you would like to make a gift for the Bra Party, please send it along to that P.O. Box and make sure that you mark it Bra Party so that it gets to the right place. Because everything else is going to go straight for radio and to cover the cost of this month's radio. So... We'd love to hear from you. And you're also welcome to call us and get direction so that you could come and be a part of praying for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit, for entire sanctification. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us, 703-489-1785. I'll give you that number again. 703-489-1785. If you're looking for a, a new life in Christ, if you're looking for a response in your heart that will warm the heart of Jesus, you're welcome to come and grow with us. So we're out of time for today. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.